Hey everybody, this is Eric Krasno and you are listening to the Plus One Podcast. I want to thank you for tuning in. Thank everybody that's been listening and sharing the show with your friends. This is episode 55 and uh, I'm really excited to have one of my favorite drummers and favorite musicians uh, that I've played with quite a bit over the last 15 or so years on the show today. Her name is Nikki Glaspie. She was in Beyonce's band. She is part of the Nth Power, actually one of the founding members of the Nth Power, also plays with Maceo Parker and the Nevilles, Dumpsta Funk, and so many other projects. She's always at Jazz Fest playing with different people. And we've gotten to play together quite a bit, actually, with Maceo in various different uh, super groups. So I'm excited to get into this with her. Uh, first, I want to give a shout out to Osiris Media. They help us put this show together, and they have a lot of other great content. I also want to make sure everyone knows about the guest list, which is the premium version of the show. It's listener supported. There's no ads on any of these episodes. Plus, you get bonus guest list episodes where I'll be deep diving into the different conversations that I've had and different guests will join me. So check that out at OsirisPod.com. All right, I'm excited to get into this conversation with Nikki, but first we're going to take a quick break to hear from our sponsors. All right, she's an amazing drummer, singer, producer, arranger, songwriter, and a founding member of the Nth Power. I'd like to welcome today's plus one, Nikki Glaspie. I appreciate you taking the time. I've been wanting to catch up with you anyway. So it's funny how like sometimes the podcast has been like a reason for to like have extended conversations with my friends, even though like we probably should do it anyway. Yeah, so you've been in Austin since before the before covid right right yeah before covid i've been i've been here for two years now and it was like the best move i've ever made in my life right yeah are you happy you you like ended up obviously you're happy you ended up there where were you where actually were you right before that i was in brooklyn you were in brooklyn right but you've been you've been kind of a nomad for yeah somewhat but like i i kept an address yeah. In Brooklyn and Jer- between Brooklyn and Jersey for like f- almost 15 oh, that, years. Right, right. Because I, wow, I moved crazy. down there in 2005. Yeah, yeah. That was when I was like living down right down the street from you. Right, right. Crazy. I'm trying to think of the exact year that we met. It was probably early 2000s for sure. Yeah, I think 2002. Yeah. I remember, I remember the night meeting you at Wally's because you came up to me and you were like, yo, da, da, da. And you mentioned the Quali thing that I did. I remember you like, yo, I love that Quali thing. I was like, oh, like no one even knows that. (laughs) I was like, how (laughs) do you even know that? Um, Because I'm a nerd. Yeah. But so am I. I'm like, see, that's (laughs) the weird thing. Like. I wish we still had liner notes. Like I keep bugging like my manager, everybody like, yeah, why don't we have liner notes, Spotify, blah, blah, blah. But I I was totally that dude as a kid, like reading who was on what and who did what. Yeah, who did what. Yeah. Because I mean, that's, to me, it's a roadmap. Yeah. You know, because like, if I like this producer, then I'm going to see what else they produce. Exactly. And nine times out of 10, I'm going to love it. That's kind of how I've been digging for like, you know, like rare early 70s, late 70s, like funk records. Right, right. Funk and R&B records, you know, like that, like everything Soul Sister spins. Yes, like, yes. 
you know, yeah, but there's so many shout out to the greatest DJ in the world. Yes. And I stand behind that because I have never in my life seen a DJ um, key match and tempo match. Yeah. As yeah. well as she does. And she she don't have Serato. She got yeah. records. She right, is right, spinning right, right. vinyl. So it's like she is a really deep musician. Right, right, right. You know, like people don't really understand, like, honestly, how much music you have to know in yeah. order to do that. Totally. Like she can just be like, oh, yeah, I got this record over here. But she still has like she has so many records. And have the and you have to be have like the musical ear, um, yeah. To 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 match all that stuff to know the keys. I saw her. I think it was Hi Ho Lounge. Um, it mm-hmm. might have been with you. I it was a long time ago. More than likely, it was long <laughs> time ago. But um, yeah, she blew my mind all night because you know, like our whole crew, like it's hard to stump. Us on funk music. I mean, yep. collectively. I'm not. You're not yes, each one of us. But I know. I remember. There's like, if we're all in a room, someone's gonna know a record. And she yep. was playing so much shit. Well, she was like every third or fourth would be like one of my favorite, like, like deep mm-hmm. cut jams. And deep then cut. the rest would be like, what the hell is that? Yeah. What, what is, is that? that? Um, totally. But she blew my I mind. I would. I would record. You know, like from the radio or like whatever. I would record because I mean. Before Shazam, yeah, you yeah, know. yeah, yeah. But still, I would go to her shows. Like I went, I went. Well, it must have been like two years ago, I guess now. But the yeah. last time I saw her, yeah, yeah, I was in there. Like Shazam did not recognize anything. Yeah, you know. Yeah, yeah. So I was like, okay, let me take a voice memo of this, and when the gig is over, I'll be like, hey, what song is this? Right, right. <laughs> like, what right. is this? <laughs> right. That's that's always fun. That's the crazy thing is that I still discover stuff to this day and I will forever. That's it's it blows my mind that I'm a musician. I listen to music pretty much like pretty much for a living all day every day and I still find stuff like almost oh, daily. Yeah. You know, daily, I'm, yeah. I'm on a deep dive right now. I don't know if you heard the news about Paul Jackson. I did. Unfortunately, and, I did. Yeah, who was my favorite bass player of all time. He passed away. I found out today. I think he passed away yesterday. Um, yeah. But I've been on a deep dive into... Because he's known for playing with Herbie Hancock, but he played on a lot of other records. Pointer Sisters. Right. Um, yep. Uh, the Eddie Henderson Kudu, which is like one of the yeah. most ridiculous. Um, but it kind of got me reminiscing... You know, it's it's kind of timely that we're talking now because it got me reminiscing of like all the times of us playing together and like the Lettuce Crew and like our whole posse was so influenced by yeah. not only that band, the Headhunters, but that era of music. That era of music for sure. And I'm still, like you said, like I'm still digging. Like I, I, I kind of stay between like, 74 and 83. Right, right. Like I just kind of like stop it at 83, you know, yeah, but like yeah. there is so much music that happened in that short amount of time. Like, I mean, 77, 78, those are like the golden years. Yes. You know? 
And it's just so much. I was talking to somebody about that the other day and like, okay, the Grammys, I'm not trying to throw a ton of shade at the Grammys, but the Grammys in the seventies, it was like, even the biggest records were like Joni Mitchell, Steely Dan, Stevie Wonder, or even like Paul Simon, Earth, Wind and Fire. Like all the best album categories are like just the best albums of all time. Yeah. You know, all the performances, you know, I yep. remember like one year, I think it was somebody, was it Paul Simon that won like album of the year? And he just goes, I just want to thank Stevie Wonder for not making an album this year. <laughs> but, <laughs> right. Uh, but how did, uh, you know, what were your influences as a kid? Like, what was the, what was like music uh, in your house, like I know you played in church. Like, what records were your was your dad playing? So, growing up, I only listened to gospel music. Right, interesting. Like, just straight up. Um, but when I was like fifteen, something happened. Something right. incredible happened. Right. My dad. I went on a road trip with my dad. Right. And that's when he just kind of like opened Pandora's box. He played me Van Halen, 1984. Wow. Yeah. He played me the gap band, the, the record with early, early in the morning on it. Okay. That one. Yeah. Yep. And he played me Eve six rage against the machine. Interesting. Okay. And the, the OJs. Wow. The record with backstabbers mix. on it. Yeah, dude. And I literally, I freaked out. Yeah. Like when I heard Hot for Teacher, I was like, what is this? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh my God. Yeah. Because I mean, I had absolutely no concept of that whatsoever. You know, just the the guitar playing and the drumming yeah. was just so far beyond like anything I'd ever heard before. Right. You right. know, so, but right after that, I I like heard In Utero. Right. By Nirvana. And then um, my one of my best friends played me Smashing Pumpkins and in Marilyn Manson. Wow. And it just kind of like, you know, I went super left real early yeah. and, and got really deep into like rock, a little progressive rock, hard, yeah. super hard rock, you know, and grunge. Like I loved it, loved it so much. And really I didn't, really hear funk r&b and jazz until i got to berkeley wow like really that's a trip yeah like i'd only listen to gospel music and then a, like gap band oj's those were like the only two secular like r&b things that i'd heard now was that a choice you know like was that just because gospel music was around you or did your dad like kind of try to keep that uh, secular music out? Yeah. Yeah. My mom is like super Christian, very religious. Right. Right. Did not let me listen to anything that was not gospel music. Right. Okay. Yeah. So it wasn't, it wasn't even, I had no concept of Jimi Hendrix or Bob Marley or any of that. Right. I That came like later in life. And when did yeah. you actually start playing? When did you start playing drums? Or was drums your first I, instrument? Yeah, drums is my first instrument. Yeah, I started playing when I was two. Wow. Really. I just like, I would pull out pots and pans out of the cabinet and yeah. beat them with, with spoons and stuff. Crazy. And then, I don't know, I was probably like 
two or three. Yeah. When I got my first like paper drum set, you know, those little like kid drum sets. Like yeah. if you send in, I got a Rice Krispies drum set. Like right. if we send in 40 UPCs, <laughs> then yeah. they would send you a little drum kit. Oh, nice. And that was like the first thing that I had, you wow. know, beat that up. And then yeah. I didn't get like a a real kit until I think I was like 12 or something like that. Right. You know, right. like actual acoustic drums. Right. It's like I, I, I would play at first I, I did play clarinet in band because yeah. my dad wanted me to play alto sax because he played alto sax. I've, I think I've heard you on a couple late nights like pick up a sax. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, like I'm yeah. Sam Sack. Sam's like, no. Yeah, a couple times, you know. But I'm like one note Wilma. Yeah. You know, yeah, just yeah. Dip, 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 yeah dip, when dip, you dip. got the rhythm. <laughs> when you got the rhythm like you have, it's like one note, you can play a whole solo like that. Like, yeah. Like Macy. play a solo with two notes. Yeah. You know? Yeah. I, I used to do that too. I had like D minor. I had like D minor and pentatonic on or blue mm-hmm. scale, like on the tenor. Then change the key. I'd be hey, like, that's all you need. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you change the key. I'm out. <laughs> <laughs> so okay, high school. You were just playing gospel music. I was just playing gospel music. I was in, I was in band. Right. Okay. So that's actually how I heard about Earth, Wind, and Fire. Was that one of our shows? I think it was like tenth grade. Yeah. We did After the Love is Gone. Oh, nice. In the marching band, like it's part of our show. Right, right. And I just always remembered the melody being like, this is beautiful. Yeah. But I'd never heard the song. So you got to Berkeley and was your mind just blown when you started oh, yeah. deep digging into funk, R&B? It actually started with Latin jazz, okay. like with salsa, because oh, I was obsessed with Horacio El Negro Hernandez, like... He was oh, my yeah. hero, like oh, from yeah. high school. Because right. when I was in high school, like drummerworld.com, like yeah. that was a thing. Yeah. You know, and yeah. like all of us, we used to just like sit around and like look at all the different drummers on there. And I obsessed over Horacio. Like I watched every video, like everything, because I was just fascinated at his independence. Yeah. How he could play like clave with his left foot and then just completely myrtleize the kit with everything else. Like while he's playing clave and I'm like, bro, you're playing in a different time signature. Like, how are you even, how are you doing that? Yeah. You know? Yeah. So when I got to Berkeley, the first thing I did was I went to percussion week because I got accepted and and I was like, I want to go there, but I do need to go check it out. And actually percussion week was like right before, um, the 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 session actually started for the fall. Oh, okay. So I went up there for percussion week and I basically stayed. <laughs> right, right, right. You know, um but I met Horacio yeah that week and he cool. taught me how to play left foot clave. Wow. I spent a whole week with him and That's and, and and Giovanni Hidalgo. Really? And, Damn. Yeah. So basically you got like, to work with the best uh, 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 Immediately, ever. yeah, wow. And I just, I like when I met him, I cried. Yeah, yeah, because yeah. <laughs> I was like, oh my god, you're right in front of me. Like I've been staring at like the videos yeah. of you for the past three years, you yeah. know, and you're right in front of me. And this is like my first introduction to any 
musician or famous musician. I also wanted to ask you that. So you're you grew up in Fredericksburg, Virginia, and you're playing in uh, churches, Ma- Maryland. Oh, I'm sorry. I, I was I was born in Fredericksburg, oh, but I grew in- up in Maryland. Oh, okay. So what what town were you in at that point? I was in Germantown. Maryland. Because I met your dad, but that was in Virginia. He's is he back yeah, in Virginia? Yeah, he he lives in Virginia. Oh, okay, yeah. okay, that's why I was mixed up. So mm-hmm. so in your in high school, you're looking at modern or modern drummer or, or drummerworld.com. So were your you did you have like a community of drummers and musicians that you like hung with at that time? Just the people that I went to high school with. Right, right. There was there was nothing really outside of that. Right. Because I, I was in every single band. So yeah, yeah. jazz band, orchestra, pep band, symphonic yeah. band, pep band, whatever, marching band. Marching band, right, and, right. And then I uh I also played for the chorus. I played right. for the chorus. I was in the barbershop yeah. <laughs> quintet. Like, wow. Everything that had to do with music in that school, I did yeah. every single thing. I was in the pit for the plays. Right. Like, you know, I did like guys, uh, Fiddler on the Roof yeah. and like guys and dolls, you know. Wow. All of it. And were you singing back then too? So you were singing in the barbershop quartet? Yeah, well, I mean, I tried to. I wasn't yeah. really a, a singer, and I never, like, professed to be one because I, my family, I have a bunch of amazing singers in my family. Right. Like, two of my cousins right now are, they're insane. Right. But, like, nobody knows who they are. They don't yeah. do music for a living, you yeah, know? Yeah, It's just like you grow up in church and you play music. That's yeah, just like, what you do, right? That's just what you do, and it's not even a thought that, you know, that could be a career choice. Yeah. You know, I'm the only one in my family. I mean, my mom is a professional musician. Right. She plays every Sunday at church. Right. You right. know, to this day. And she does choir rehearsals on Thursdays and, yeah. you know, the whole thing. Right, right. So you get to Berkeley. Um, you you start getting in. So you were into Latin jazz in the beginning. Do you remember, like, what got you into you know, the seventies R and B, the funk, the soul. I mean, basically, um, Francisco Mela was one of my uh teachers, one of my private instructors, and he said, Yo, come to Wally's, you know, come to Wally's on on, yeah. on Wednesday. You know, it was like Latin jazz night. So I went down there, I was like eighteen, and Frank knows it. No, Paul was there. Paul, it was yeah, Paul. Yeah. And, you know, he was like, no, absolutely not. And then Francisco came to the door and was like, this is my student. This is my yeah. student. Let her in. Let her in. Right. Because you were underage. So, you were like, what, 17, 18? Yeah, I was 18. 18 yeah. yeah. I rem- I think I met you like right around then. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Like r- probably six months later right, or something right. like that. Yeah. And so I only went down there on uh, Thursday nights which is Latin jazz night. And then something happened. I went on a Tuesday and I saw Mark Kelly. Yeah. And then I just like started going on Tuesdays because they would let me in. Yeah. You know, like Mela didn't have to be there anymore for them to let me in. Yeah. Um, So I just went every Tuesday night for like six months. Yeah. And I learned all the songs like before I sat in. Right, right. 
I learned the arrangements of how they were playing everything. Right. So I would just go down there and listen. And then when I finally sat in, I like I knew the arrangement. Right. You know, because they were doing all kinds of stuff. Yeah, they were. So just for a little background for the folks out there, you've probably heard us talk about Wally's Cafe in other episodes of this show. But it's definitely... Uh, we called it Wally's University was one of the names. Yeah. All all of our crew, Lettuce, the squad, f- f- uh, Soul Live, we all played there. And it was all, it was like kind of where we would learn and there'd be different like generations of of people that would play there. And they would bring up new people as the other people would go on tour. Someone would have to sub Chris Laughlin and Charles Haynes. Oh, actually initially Mark Simmons and Chris Laughlin used to play on Wednesdays. And I used mm-hmm. to always go Tuesdays and Wednesdays were the funk and soul nights. And they right. would, they would take old songs and like flip them on their head and, and like do all these crazy hits with them. They'd be like Herbie songs. There was a lot of Paul Jackson. It was all over the map though. Sometimes they'd take like popular R and B songs and, and flip them. Uh, yeah. Soul Live actually has a song called Tuesday Night Squad that is dedicated to the Tuesday Night Band, which was Charles Haynes, Schmeens, Mark mm-hmm. Kelly, Jeff Basker. Uh, wow. So that was our our whole little scene. That's a that's a hell of a band, right there. I know. I just named. <laughs> I, I just I just named all those people, and I'm like, damn, all those people are like doing. Cra- Mark Kelly's the bassist in the Roots. Jeff yep. Basker is one of the biggest producers ever. Charles Ever. has played with everyone on the map. I don't even, the list is great like producer as well. Also a great producer. And obviously Schmeens from lettuce and you know, you all, you all know Schmeens, but um, yeah, so that was such a cool spot and I have so many amazing memories and it's this tiny little stage and every, you'd have to squeeze your gear onto this stage. <laughs> and usually the sax player would like get kicked into the crowd. Um, yeah. But I remember I met you there and then you started playing there. Uh, and then, you know, the the next phase from that was the Sam Kenninger band, which yep. was and that's where I really where we I started playing with you and like we started touring together and stuff, which was yeah. you, Sam, Aaron Bellamy and Amy. Yep. And Amy before that, it was Mike Feingold on oh, guitar. Right. right. Yep. Yeah. And then and then he left. Cause he started playing with Eric Badu and right. um, what's his name? Um, singer Eric Benet. Right. That was like his like first gig. So he bounced and then we got Amy. Yeah. And the rest is history. <laughs> and you guys, you guys started touring and doing your thing. And uh, I, one of my favorite memories I was thinking about actually this morning is I, I, I think this may have been your first time in New Orleans, but the New Orleans trip where you came down with Sam and me, you and Vivica were like running partners for the week. That was that was 2005. Okay, 2005. so I came the year before oh, with Sam in 2004. Oh, okay, okay, yep. okay. But, so you went there with yeah. Sam, and in 2005 we all went. I don't know if we went together, but I just remember me, you, and Viv. We just rolled around every gig and just jumping on stage and playing with everybody. And that's where like, I I saw you kind of like turn into like, all right, New Orleans. Like that's where you became like upset. We all have that moment 
that we as like musicians or a lot of us do where we just become obsessed with New Orleans and New Orleans music. I think it's like the richest cultural city in this country. Um, Absolutely. Without, without contest, like hands down. Yeah. Yeah. Cause it's funny because I was talking about this yesterday, the, the, like the convergence of, of cultures that happened there is unlike any other place in America. You had Spanish, you had French, you had African, and you had Native right. American. Right. Also Mexican, which a lot of people don't talk about. Interesting. But like recently, I, I found this article about this band from Mexico that got stuck there like in the 1890s or something okay. like that. And it was a band of like 50 musicians and they just like got stuck in New Orleans for whatever reason. Crazy. And then they just took, they just took up roots and started uh, playing with everyone there, which is interesting because if you listen to banda, banda music, yeah, if you like compare that to second line, it's right. like, you know, the tuber's like, like the tuba playing is like insane and then the brass and the snare drumming yeah. You know, it's like yeah, yeah. very similar, Crazy. you know, to second line music. Wow. I never, I never knew that. Yeah. There's, I mean, even just being in that city makes you play differently. You know what I mean? Absolutely. It's like, you know, I always like talk about like Zigaboo's playing being like the swamp, you know, it's like everything is like kind of moving, you know, in this beautiful yeah. way. Dude, I, I totally describe Zig every time as like drunken master. Yeah. Like if yeah, you like yeah. martial arts, yeah, you know, definitely. it's like it's loose but snappy. Yeah. You know, like if you watch if you watch gently, actually, um, Tony Jaw. Yeah. I, I love Tony Jaw. I'm like a martial arts like fanatic. If you watch this guy do Drunken Master, yeah. it's like listening to Zig play the drums. <laughs> right, right, right. Seriously. We'll be right back after this short break. From the from the Sam band was the next step in your in your evolution playing with Dumpster Funk or am I do I have the timeline right? So after Sam, I like went on tour with um, Martin Luther oh, for a second. Okay, okay, you remember that? It was like yeah. me and Martin Luther and uh, and Aaron Bellamy, and oh, we like okay. did a European tour. And actually, that European tour. Was like right when I got to Beyonce gig. Oh, okay, okay. So I, like I, I want to spend a second on that. But uh, yeah, so Martin Luther, Bay Area dude, played with the Roots for a while. That's how I met him. Yep, he um, played. That's how I met him. Okay. I was with Sam in San Francisco, and Sam saw Dave Matthews like across the street. Yeah, and he was like, "Yo, yo, yo, stop!" And he hopped out and was like, "Dave, what's up? Like, I'm here with my band." Yeah. So we went to see Dave Matthews oh, that shit. night. Okay. And I met Martin backstage. 
So I was just like, I just walked up to him because he was dressed all funky. Yeah. Like yeah. I didn't see the roots or anything. I was like, yo, what's up, man? Like, what's your name? Like, what do you do? Yeah. You know, and he's like, oh, I'm a singer. Like, I just sang with the roots, you know? Yeah. And I was like, well, I play drums, you know? And like, we just exchanged info because we just like connected, just talking, just having conversation. Right. And then he called me and was like, yo, I got this tour. Like, you want to come do it? Yeah. And I was like, hell yeah. Yeah, he's killing, man. <laughs> Su- it, yeah, but he's actually the one that, he was like the first one to put a microphone in front of my face. Right. Because he was just like, uh, this is a trio. I'm singing, but I also need your voice. Yeah. You know, so I started kind of singing with him. And then, and then I didn't sing for like five years because <laughs> yeah. I was with Beyonce. I didn't need, I didn't need to sing. Yeah. You know, so the Beyonce thing, I actually remember you calling me. I was in Brooklyn and you were like, uh, I got this call. Beyonce, I'm not exactly sure what to do. And I think I connected. <laughs> I think my brother who was managing me at the time, didn't you like we you got you had you ended up calling him for some to like help yeah. navigate it a little yeah, bit. Just just a little advice, because basically, uh, the you know, like I got the gig. But then there was like this meeting yeah, yeah, that was right in the middle of the Martin Luther tour. Oh, right. And I was okay. like, well, what do I do? Like, this is kind of like a, I think it was like a three week tour or something. And they wanted to have a meeting. So I actually told them, I said, um, I have prior, you know, uh, commitments. Yeah. So... I don't know what you guys want to do about that. And they were like, okay. Like, uh, <laughs> you had to yeah. tell us that you're not coming to this meeting because you have to do this tour that's three weeks. Yeah. And they were like, okay. Like, we'll just wait till you get back. And how did they find you initially? It was an open call. Oh, it was okay. an open call. So you so went I just to an showed audition. Up. I went to an audition in New York. And I right. actually had a gig with Sam in um in Pawtucket and okay. I could like you remember the uh, the chicken box yeah 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 but yeah so I had a gig with him Monday and Tuesday but the audition was on Monday so right. I called him and I was like I was broke too I had like 50 yeah, bucks yeah. or something and I was like yo I really want to come to the gig but I need to do this audition so can I come the next day and he was yeah. like, nah, because you got to take a boat over here. Like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> whoever plays Monday is playing Tuesday, yeah, you know? Yeah, So I was like, all right, just get a sub. Like, I'll figure it out. And I didn't have any money yeah. in New York City. And I didn't think I got the gig because I didn't hear back from them until Friday. Right. Like, I auditioned on a Monday, and they called me on Friday. Wow. And they were like, congratulations, you made it to the next round. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I was like, cool. And then went in there and auditioned again. They just kept dwindling it down. Yeah. You know. And were you playing with other players that were going to be in the band, essentially? In the auditions, yeah. But, um, so there was one member of the band that eventually, like, joined that I knew. Because I went to school with Rie. Right. The, The keyboard player. That's right. So, like, she was the only person that I knew, like, in the band. And and it was funny too because she was on the Eric Benet gig as well. Oh, okay. And she had a gig 
So she couldn't come until like the next day, but they told her to come anyway. Yeah. And she came in there and just ripped. Yeah, and they were like, it. oh, she's definitely in the band, you know? So once you were in the band, you guys, how long did you guys rehearse like leading up to the tour? I think initially we did maybe three months of music. Yeah. Because we we literally had to kind of like learn her whole repertoire. Right. You know, um, Destiny's Child songs as well and songs from her first record and the second record. Yep. So we had like a lot of music to learn. And then, so maybe we did a month of just let's learn all these songs. And then two months of actually putting the show together, Mm -hmm. like the music part of it, you know, because then after that, we went to production rehearsals, which was like two months. Right. Where you put the music on the stage and, yeah, you know, all that stuff. Right, right. Lights, cameras, video, like the whole thing. And once it got into production, what was that experience like for you, you know, from playing like clubs, bars to like this massive, you know, lights and... I feel like I actually had great training for it. Right. Uh, Because it was a stamina gig. Right. Really, like, I mean, when we were rehearsing, I remember after the first two weeks of rehearsal, I came home and Adam looked at me, like my roommate at the time, Adam Joseph. Shout out to Adam Joseph. Yeah. Um, At the time, he was like, yo, your forearms are swollen. And, like, I had no idea. I didn't even notice. Yeah. But I was playing, like, 10 hours a day. Wow. Like, hitting, bashing. Yeah, yeah. Hitting hard, like, 10 hours a day. Yeah. And... You know, but playing with Sam and and playing, man, we played. Do you remember that spot? It was like after you pass tips. It was on the right. Uh, it was a small oh, spot. that little place. Uh, uh, I know the place you're talking about, but I can't remember the name of it. Lizard Lounge or something might, like. Yeah, it might have uh, been. I yeah, I know. Lizard I know Lounge is about, in though. Cambridge, but yeah. Um, we played down there one night for five hours wow. straight. That was in 2004. Yeah. And I remember Stanton came in there and he like started banging on the tom and I was like, you want to play? Yeah. <laughs> I didn't even yeah. know who he was. We were like, that's Stanton Moore. I'm like, yeah. great. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> great. Give me a break. Give me that's a break. That's funny. That's funny. Yeah. And, and how involved was Beyonce in like the music, the arrangements, the rehearsals? Really? Yeah, there yeah. Yeah. I mean there's no way like you you, you kind of see that. You could see that she's oh, that involved in every part of it. Right. She knows exactly what she wants and she's going to get it. Right. We're going to get it right. And like was she did you did everyone, you know, was your how was your relationship with her? Was it pretty, you know, was she like hands-on with like parts and and like what you were doing on the drums or was it more like grand scheme stuff yeah it was more grand scheme stuff but it would be specific things as well yeah like sometimes to the arrangement but like the thing was is that we would arrange some things and she would come in check it out and then take it to dance rehearsal right and see how that worked and they would come back and be like, you know what? Let's cut the second verse or whatever, you know. Got it, yeah. Go straight to the bridge. Like, yeah, there was a lot of, like, trial and error 
you know, right. especially with like dancing and singing at the same time. Right. It's like we have to arrange all of this so she can have a breath, you know? Yeah. <laughs> it's crazy when you all of a sudden are introducing so many other elements than just the music. It's like the dancers, oh, yeah. the lights, all these things, the and like the pacing it's of the show. It's a different ball game right. completely. It's a lot of work I for know. everyone involved. For everybody, yeah. So how rigorous was the touring schedule once that got going? We, we were averaging five shows a week. That's a lot. It is a lot. I mean, for her too, for singing every night. Yeah, definitely. But I mean, it's really funny to to say this, but it's true. Like I was there in the like the grind part of like her career and it, as far as becoming like the superstar that she is. Yeah. You know, it was like this was like it wasn't her first solo album. Like I know she had gone on tour before, but I think it was like her second. Yeah. Like tour like as Beyoncé. Yeah. You know, not Destiny's Child where, you know, like we were playing arenas. Yeah. But like for us, like in, in the jam band scene, you know, like, you know, that's like playing 200, 200 cap rooms. Yeah. Because like now, now she's in stadiums. Right. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like at first our crowds were, it depended, depending on where we were. Like we toured a lot in Germany and in Ireland, like. And most of the times the caps of those rooms were like eight to 10,000 people. Gotcha. You know, but like in the U.S., the cap was, could be like 20,000, you know, like a basketball arena. Yeah. Like Madison Square Garden. Yeah. You know, like 20,000. Right. But now she's playing like stadiums. Yeah, giant stadiums. Yeah, giant stadiums. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. It's like, that's a lot more people than <laughs> yeah. Yeah. the garden, you know? And uh, so you stayed with her for like five, was it five years? Yeah. Yeah. Five Christ. years. And it was a kind of a thing where you pretty much had to do just that. You were, you were doing like little things here and there. I was doing little things here and there. I mean, there was a moment where we had like 10 months off. Right. And it was kind of like, man, I don't want my chops to get rusty. And I couldn't not play music. Right. You know, I guess like technically I wasn't supposed to. Yeah. No, you know? I remember that because I think I called you for some gigs here and there, and you'd have to you'd be, you know you'd be like, all right, well I can't plan it that far away, but when it's happening, I want to play. Uh, yeah, totally. Because I you never know because I was on call, right? Like she could have called me at any moment. Yeah. And if I was in you know Japan, like yeah. or anywhere else doing a tour, it's like no, yeah, that's can't do that. Right. Right. And so when that came to an end, was that a decision that you made or was that band kind of slowing, like dissolving? No, that's, that's a decision I made. Yeah. I wanted to, I, I felt like I did everything that I could do with that. You know, like I did two world tours, three DVDs, right. I then played on an album, Yeah, you know, and uh, I was like, okay, let's get back to our roots. Yeah. I wanted to I wanted to get back to playing music like, you know, yeah. because so much of what I was doing was a show. Right. Right. You know, and I wasn't fully able to express myself like the way that I wanted to. Right. Right. Well, you know, I couldn't play like where I wanted to play and do what I wanted to do. Yeah. Because it's like once once the show was set, like that was it. 
you know, it's like you get on the roller coaster and then like you get off when it's done, like two hours and 37 minutes, right. you know, it's right. kind of like, aren't we starting? Exactly. And yeah. then <laughs> two hours and 37 minutes later, it's over, Right. you know? Right. Um, but there wasn't like much, I mean, I found my spots. Yeah. I had to figure out how to get my spots. Right. You know, but overall it was kind of like, this is what we do. Yeah. Every Punch, single yeah, punch in the time card. Yeah. So when that ended, was Dumpster Funk already a thing? I guess Ray, Raymond yeah. was in Dumpster Funk. I'm trying to get it all yeah. like the timeline. And was did he leave? And then at that moment, was it pretty much right away when you left Beyonce that you joined up with those guys? It wasn't. It wasn't right away, but it was like a couple of months because basically yeah. I quit. I was like, yeah. I'm, I'm good. I'm going to go do something else. I didn't know what I was going to do. Got it. Yeah. But I had to be free to look for something to do, yeah. you know? So I went to Jazz Fest. Right. That's what happened. I went to Jazz Fest in 2011. Right. And saw Ivan and like hung out and was just hopping around, sitting in with people, playing with Big Sam. Yeah. And, um, I actually, you're, you're the one who told Ivan to call me. Right. Right. <laughs> Because I think was about like, it. idiot, drummer. And you were yeah. like, what about Nikki? Call Nikki. Like, yeah. she's done. She's chilling, yeah. you know? Yeah, yeah. And so I started with them, I think, in July. How long was the, the run with Dumpster Funk? It was three years. Three years. 2011 to 2014. There was a lot of touring in those years, right? Oh, yeah. Going hard. That's all we did. We the went shittle? super hard. Yeah. <laughs> Started out in the shittle, and then yeah. eventually we got a sprinter. Thank right. God. Yeah, but dude, yeah. my first ride in the shittle was yeah. like nineteen hours to Chicago. Oh my god! Like they they totally set me up. <laughs> but I'm just, I had I no got, idea. Just for some some background, the the shittle. <laughs> <laughs> was a airport shuttle, you know, like one of those yeah. airport shuttles uh, that got converted into a, a touring vehicle. Um, yeah, shout oh, out, no, shout out to Ian Neville. Ian, Ian was the one that started <laughs> calling it the shittle. Yeah, because it was so shitty. That's why. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, the bench, like, it was like an old school, like, bus bench, you yeah, know, like yeah. school bus bench. Yeah. So it came like halfway up my back. Right, like, not right. even up to the shoulders, yeah, you yeah, know? Yeah, yeah. And, like, riding like that for 19 hours uh, is not cool. That'll put a hurt on you. Oh, yeah, it did. But, yeah, I mean, that era, I mean, I've always loved that band, but that era with you on drums, and that's when you started singing a lot, and that's when I, I remember hearing a lot. you sing, and I was like, holy shit. I, you know, I might have heard you sing a little bit of backgrounds, but hearing you sing lead and, like, coming out, like, really as a singer... What yeah. was really cool to hear, especially because that band also has the greatest singers. I mean, shout out to Nick Daniels. Yep. Nick, Daniels Nick Daniels is one the of third. the most soulful, funky dudes ever. And then obviously Tony's a great singer. Ivan, everyone knows Ivan's a great singer. Uh, but those harmonies, those arrangements. Don't miss your walk time. Until your well runs dry Don't miss your last chance Until it pass you by Don't miss your good thing Until I definitely learned a lot 
from those dudes, like so much. I learned so much from them. And it's funny because I kind of like equate it to school, you know, like levels of education. Like when I got with Beyonce, that was like I was getting my undergrad degree, you know. And then when I got with Dumpster Funk, I got my master's. Right. You know, like seriously, just like how to travel, how to run a business and all of the things in between, you know, booking agents, managers, you know, like all of that. Mm -hmm. And then when I got with Maceo, that was like, I got my doctorate. Right. You know, just, and, and, and all three of those gigs like taught me, you know, it was such a wealth of knowledge that I gained because from the Beyonce thing, I really learned the, like how to be a performer, you know, not just play, but perform, but also I learned so much production Yeah, because I'm the type of person, I mean, my mom told me this a long time ago, but I, I would talk to everybody. You know, like yeah. my dad is that person. He will talk to anybody yeah, yeah. <laughs> until like, you know, they're like, all right, man. All right, cool. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I got to go, yeah, you know? Yeah. And I mean, that's just kind of the attitude I had. You can learn anything from anybody. Right. Even what not to do. Yeah. You know, so I always paid attention to what everyone was doing. So on the Beyonce gig, you have electricians, mm. you have carpenters, you know, you have people that build, build stages. Right. You have riggers. There's people that hang lights and video right. and lights, you know, di- lighting director and a video director. And like, there are so many jobs. So I like the carpenters were like my best friends on the tour. Yeah. Yeah. Like those were my dudes, yeah. you know? Um, because they, I, they'd always just like be right there cause they would have to build the, the, the stage, yeah, yeah. you know? And, um, we used to like, we used to go eat together and go sightseeing and, and yeah. all kind of stuff, you know? Yeah. That's cool. But, but I, I talked to everybody and I learned, I, right. I learned a lot. So now, you know, like having the nth power, like I learned how to put on a show. Yeah. I learned how to throw a production. Yeah, how to how to keep a band on the road, how to get from A to B. Yeah, all of those all of those pieces. All so, those things. So tell me a little bit of how Nth Power came together, uh how you met the guys and you know, you know, t- like yeah. a little bit of like the inception of the band. It, it it's funny because it kind of started before it even started. It was just kind of like this thing that happened and it eventually turned into that, but uh, I think it was like 2012 when Nate Edgar called me and was like, yo, you know, I'm trying to kind of get into the funk scene a little bit. So I know you play at Jazz Fest. If you got any gigs down there, like just, you know, hit me up. Yep. And I was like, great. I had, you know, I had it like in the back of my mind. So um, basically Jen Hartswick had hit me up. And said, yo, you know any bass players? Like, I need a bass player for this gig at Maple Leaf. And she's like, what about Nigel? You think, like, Nigel can play keys on the gig? Because Rob Marsher is is her normal keyboardist, but he couldn't make it that year. Uh And I was like, yeah, Nigel's great. He's killing. He'll handle the music. No problem. Yeah. And I got a bass player. Yeah. So I called Nate. I'm like, dude, just get down here. I'll find you a place to stay. 
and I'll like rustle up some more gigs. Just get down here. Yeah. So he had that gig and then I booked a gig, you know, the BOC all stars right? right. <laughs> at uh, Siberia. Yeah. yeah, I don't know if you remember that place. I, I, I remember like the name, but I can't remember where that what where it was. So it's like a couple doors down um, from Hi Ho. Okay, okay, yeah. But like towards Elysian Fields. Got it, got it. Yeah, and it's really like a metal bar, but for some reason, actually, LV Laura Vodakovich. Oh, okay, yeah. She got me a gig there. Cool. And was like, oh, you can put a band together and play here. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so. Yeah, that's like kind of how it happened. And then we played with Jen and Nick was in Jen's band and we played that night. And I mean, it was just like kismet. Yeah. You know, it's like we we did sound check and we all kind of looked at each other like, oh, this is a band. Right. Right. Like we didn't even know we were playing. We know what we were doing, but we just played a groove and we were like, man, this feels really good. So... We actually just started writing immediately. And wait, so Nick Cat was Nick Casarino also there? Mm-hmm. So he was there as part of Jen's band. Yes. Oh, okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So we were playing for Jen Hartswick. It yeah. was me, Nate, Nick, and Nigel. So you guys, oh, the actual full-on nth power was that band. Oh, crazy. Was that band. Oh, and we cool. just looked around like, oh, this is a band. We yeah, should start yeah. doing something. Yeah, yeah. So we all lived in New York. This was before Nigel left, you know, he, right. he, he was in New York. And right after Jazz Fest, we all got together, like, I don't know, two weeks later or something like that, and wrote Only Love. Right. We got in a room and just, like, started writing music. Oh, so was, that was a collective piece, that song. Yeah. That makes sense. That song is, like, so perfect. And it's, like, so, like, what I think of when I think of you guys. Um, as like the the like flagship song, you know what I mean, and and yeah. just the sentiments of it and everything, and it kind of reminds me of Earth, Wind, and Fire in certain ways, but also like has your guys' stamp on it, like hundred percent, you know. So yeah, then that band ended up, you know, hitting the road. I, the record came out; it didn't come out for a little while, but you guys like. Yeah, well, hit we it. put out an EP. We right, put out an right. EP in like 2013 or 2014. So I not think too it long was. after. Not too long after we right. put out an EP, and then we started touring like that September right. full time. Right, right. And then while also working on the actual first record that came out in 2015. There was something about you, babe Made me fall to my knees And beg you, darling, please don't let me go But when your ship crashed on my shores Gave you all that I had All you did was beg for more And then uh, Weedy ended up touring with you guys eventually But that was, that was a little well, later Well, he actually, he came like pretty early on I mean... He played like our first our first jazz fest. Right. He played he he like joined the band. Yeah. So that was Jazz Fest 2014 or 2013. Right. Something right, like that. Right, right. Yeah. So he was in the band early. I mean, at first on the on the first um, you know, EP, that's Bill Summers playing percussion. He heard us in uh Blue Nile. It was like our first gig. Yeah, yeah. And he was like, "Yo, you mind if I 
go get my stuff out of the car. I got, I got, I got my congas and stuff. And I'm like, dude, you're Bill Summers. <laughs> yeah, yeah, there's <laughs> no know, reason like, to ask. Yeah, like, oh, no, I do not mind. Yeah. You know? Wow. So, um, yeah, shout out to Bill Summers. Bill I mean, Summers. talking about the headhunters, you know? Yeah, I got, we got to, I got to work with him uh, a bunch of times. And he's just like one of those dudes that's kind of like a, just a mentor to, to many. And Power hit it hard for a long time. And then Nigel obviously ended up in Lettuce. And then now, yep. then down to Trio. I mean, we, we had Courtney Smith for a while who was like, who was um, Wheaties keyboard player in his band. Right. In Creative Pandemonium. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, he was like, yo, I got a kid. He can sing. Yeah. You know, because we really needed someone who could sing and play keys. Right, right. That was a, that was a thing, you know. So Courtney has an amazing voice. And yeah. I mean, he plays drums and bass like crushes the bass. Right. So, uh, yeah, we had him for a while and he wasn't really like a, a road guy. He didn't love the road. Right. He was like, he was like, I want to go home. Yeah, you know? Yeah. I, I, I was get like, that. I get it. Yeah. It's not, it's not for some people, right. you know? And we were like, man, it's cool. You know, like, yeah, we got it. You know? So we, so we went trio. Yeah. You know? Yeah. But I mean, you and Nick both with, uh, have such strong vocals. I mean, I always loved, the different versions of the band, but, um, and it comes across so nicely in all in the songs. Are you guys still active? You know, obviously not during, um, yeah, not during, during COVID, but yeah. yeah, we're definitely active. Like Good. we have a record that's coming out this year. Finally, please stick around. We'll be right back after this short break. One of the, my favorite gigs from Jazz Fest, and I actually, I may have to credit myself with introducing you to Maceo. Did I? I met Maceo at a Soul Live show. Right, yes, right. And then I remember they called me to put together a band for him for yeah for the, the Fire, Fire Fest. Fest. And yeah. they were like, "He's really particular about drummers," and I'm like, "Just trust me that." The drum, this drummer <laughs> is the baddest drummer I know. Like you're good, and she's and his his uh, manager Natasha was like, uh, you know, he's just so particular. And I'm like, just trust me. And as soon as you started playing, he just like lit up. Yeah. I remember he, he looked at around. me. Yeah, he, he was yeah. like, "Whoa!" And then, yeah. he, and then I think a couple and all like the signature favorite Maceo thing is the Maceo with the drummer, and yeah. he did it. And you know, we kind of we were playing Firefest. It was a throw. It was one of these jam things. But he had me like put his backing band together. Yeah, I actually found a picture of me like backstage with Maceo, like writing the set list, and he's like at a keyboard, like showing like me like different things. Mm -hmm. Anyway, uh, but I remember he called the drum sax thing like a bunch of times that day, which is like, <laughs> you know, he's feeling the drummer when he's just like, all right, everybody out. And, yeah. and he's just doing his Maceo thing. Um, but obviously from that moment, they were like, okay, we need Nikki in, in yeah, our, in our like, crew. 
<laughs> I was on the I was on the list because yeah, I yeah, mean yeah. at at that point Marcus was still playing with him. Right. So they didn't call me till like uh, maybe like a year and a half. Right. After that. Right. And 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 honestly, like Natasha emailed me. Yeah. And I saw the email. And I like thought it was a joke. Yeah. Just like just like the whole Beyonce audition thing, I thought it was a joke. I was like, oh, we'll be the promotional band for two months, like right. whatever. Right. You know, then they'll get the other guys back. But, you know, five years later, it's like, oh, I guess <laughs> right. this is a real gig. Yeah. So they sent me the email and I'm like, oh my God, like Macy O. Parker, like yeah. it's gotta be a joke, you know. So I email her back and she's like, Yeah, like we need you for New Year's Eve crazy and actually like after that gig they offered me they were like you want the gig you can have it yeah and i was like oh my god like i just sunk my life savings into starting this band right right <laughs> right you know it's like timing is everything yeah but they were so cool yeah that they said look here's the calendar they're like you just tell us what you can do and we'll get somebody else to do the rest. Wow, that's the dream. So, yeah. That is a dream. Like yes. literally I look at the calendar and I'm like, "Hey guys." Yeah. Yeah, I got I got this month. I I got it, you know. Yeah. So, I mean, I've been doing that since 2015. How nuts is it that like when you play with someone that you like listen to their records like incessantly and think of all the amazing drummers that have been in that yeah. band. That have played with Absolutely. him. You know? Yeah, they, like, that he's played with. It's insane. Like, yeah. It is. Like, and, and, and to play those songs, like, wow. Yeah. I remember the first time he turned around and he called, like, there was a time. And I was just like, I got goosebumps. Oh, yeah. You know what I yeah, mean? Yeah. I was like, oh, my God. I'm playing these iconic grooves with the guy. But it's, it, you know, it's like you never know where you're going to end up musically. Right. Like just, just as a musician, like you never know. And I'm so happy that like I did my homework. Yeah. I did my homework with James Brown. Yeah. You know, yeah. like yeah. I sat down and I, I learned those records like note for note. And so when I got the call, like I just played it. Yeah. You know, I knew every single one he would call one out. I'm like, I got you. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's <laughs> you know? amazing. That's, yeah, it is. Like, I'm like, I'm Clyde Stubblefield. Like, this is my shining moment. <laughs> right. I mean, the fact that you got to do, I mean, just having this conversation from the arena tours with Beyonce to like, you got into New Orleans music, you play in a band with the Nevilles, you know? Dude, I and played then, the last, the last gig that the Neville brothers played at Tipitina's. Yeah. I was the drummer. Wow. Like I played with the Neville brothers a couple times because, you know, they just called Dumpsifer. And they, yeah, just back. Yeah. Cause it, it's Tony well. and Nick yeah. and Ivan and Ian. They, yeah. oh, they know every, all, yeah. they were all they were, in the band. Yeah, they're, they're, it's blood. <laughs> it's actual blood. Actual blood. Yeah. So like, honestly, like be, going through that school of music is like so precious to me. Yeah. Like to be, to have been able to learn their music from them. Yeah. Like I played with the meters, yeah. you know, like yeah. all of them. Yeah. George, Art, Zig, yeah. like, you know, Leo. And it's, 
it's it's really incredible and also like to call them family like they right. are my family fully you know uh it's i'm just so happy that you know they saw fit to take me in ian calls me nikki neville yeah i mean it's true <laughs> it's true well you respect the music so much you put the work in you have so much love for it you know and that's apparent um well actually it, during quarantine i mean i've always been like appreciative of all these things but you know it it's 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 heightened the awareness of like you know what uh, um our crew has been able to do you know what i mean whether it, whether yeah. it's like you know and uh it, it's just so cool thinking back on it like you know now you're playing with maceo parker it's like the dude we listened to over and over yeah. and over i mean i remember listening to um to uh life on planet groove a lot too which is his and all his solo albums i mean all his solo albums are dope you know mm-hmm. and, and, and life like, on planet groove was a that was a very important yeah. record yeah for for all of us yeah. The like super important record yeah uh and yeah kenwood denard i mean i he was my teacher at berkeley right but also that's the honestly like the greatest thing about playing with maceo besides playing with maceo yeah, <laughs> like, yeah, you know, yeah. obviously that's the greatest thing but playing with skeet oh i was Rodney gonna mention skeet that Woo! curtis like hanging with that dude yeah and playing with him is it's like it's a dream come true and also bruno so yeah i was like the band actually the nth power we would go on we would you know have phases where we would like obsess over this record and it was kind of like the theme yeah. of the band for a minute like the first like album that we listened to as a band like over and over and over again was uh leon Ware musical massage oh uh, yeah yeah and you know it just kind of like seeped into us as a band so like everything that was kind of coming out was that very like soulful you know r&b thing yeah. like you kind of hear it yeah you know in the songs and then after that it was the sos band right right and we just listened to sos band over and over and over and over again because it was so good and I, it was the first gig that I played with Maceo where he goes, representing the SOS band, Bruno Spate. Literally, my jaw dropped. Wow. Because I didn't even know that, he, you know, he was a guy in the band. Right. <laughs> so, like, a set break, I just go up to him, I sit down, and I look at him, and I'm like, did Maceo say the SOS band? And he was like, yeah, I am the SOS man. And I was like, oh, my God, dude, like, you don't even know the like the amount of appreciation I have for that band. Wow. Like, you have crazy. no idea. Like, I've been studying and listening to you, you know, for years prior to this and not having any clue that that was the guy. Wow. Crazy. You're part of the new Maceo album. Played on the whole Record, Soul Food, Cooking with Maceo.
And what was it like in the studio with Maceo? Incredible. Yeah. I mean, he knew exactly. He knows what he wants. And he's like, don't play that beat like that. Play this one. Right. You know, and he's singing to me. I've heard him do that. That was like what yeah. I, we, when we did a rehearsal, I think it was. Was it Lettuce and Maceo or Soul Live and Maceo? And we, we, I remember we had like our secret little phone. It was like early camera phone, but it was like really, but we were, we were like geeking so hard because he kept turning to, I I think it was Dice, I think it was Lettuce. And he kept like, like beatboxing the beat and it was to be so funky that the whole band would be like, so funky. Oh shit. I remember we were like, like for real. we were trying to catch little videos of it and stuff without being too like nerded, nerded out. Yeah. Um, yeah. Wow. That's crazy. Totally. So now you're in but Austin, Texas. Uh, I'm in Austin. And so is there, are there new musical uh, ventures forming in, in Austin? Yeah. Um, I play with a trio here now. It's called JD3, but it's uh, Jimmy Dreams plays guitar and Bobby Perkins on bass. Oh, Bobby. Yeah, that's my boy. Yeah. yeah. You know, Bobby yeah. he used to play with Topaz. And yep. it's so funny when you like you see people like I used to see him all the time. Right. Right. Like way back in the day. Yeah. You know, because Sam played shows with Topaz. Right. Right. You know, like remember that show at the Knitting Factory? Oh, yeah. And and yeah. And, and Aaron Bellamy uh, forgot his bass. And we had to. <laughs> We had to come to your crib and, and borrow a jazz bass. Oh, that's right. Do you remember wow, that? Wow, crazy. Uh, yeah. Uh, that was a long time ago. Yeah, that was 2002, yeah. 2003 or something. Wow. I've been seeing this guy for like 15 years, yeah, you know? Yeah. <laughs> like just seeing him here and there, like a jazz fest, whatever. I know. And uh, and then he's like, now we're finally like playing music together and hanging out and stuff. And it's great. That's dope. You know? That's dope. So, and then something else that kind of came out of this pandemic is uh, Kamani. Oh, okay. Which is a, is a new band with, it's me and Nigel yeah. and Kat Dyson and cool. Matt Lapham. Oh, yeah. Matt Lapham. Matt. He's a great, great player. Oh, man. He's Killing. such a great player. Yeah, yeah. Super sick. I mean, he can slap, he can thump, he can... Like, yeah, he's super dope. So, yeah, we have a quartet, and we're, we're playing funk and R&B. And uh, we're, we're about to go out on the road here, uh, April 29th to May 15th. Oh, wow, cool, cool. But, yeah, and I'm also playing a bunch of gigs with Mike Dillon. Oh, cool. And Brian Haas. And uh, Brian Haas and uh, Helen Jalay. Yeah. You know, Brian Haas and Helen Jalay, we have a – a trio. Actually, it's it's kind of like a quartet, but Jessica Lurie, you know, she has, we didn't get to play like this year with her yet, but we have a band called Tefra Sound. Okay. And it's probably like one of my favorite bands to play with for sure, because my entire musical career has been all about preparation. Yeah. You know, you got to learn this song, you got to learn that song, you know. And we play all improvisational Free. music. Oh, dope. Free. And it's amazing because one minute it'll be classical, the next minute it'll be punk, then it'll be hip hop, you know, and then it could also be like straight jazz, like yeah. swing. Like it could be anything at any moment. Right. And I love it. I feel like you've had like the 
perfect career. Like if you if if a young drummer was like if looking at the things you've done and you get to do so many things that you love to do, right? Um uh they would probably ask you and I always want I, I want to ask you this question. What would you tell an 18, 19 year old drummer, what are some some pieces of advice that you might give give them in terms of crafting the type of career that you've had or really the type of career that that will make that will like really make them happy? Yeah, I mean, first off, I mean, you always you have to follow your heart. You know, it doesn't matter like really what anybody else says. You got you got to live for yourself. And that's probably like the first thing that I would say is that I've made a lot of decisions during my career that people were like, are you crazy? Like, why would you do that? Right. Like, you know, because I have friends that are still playing with Beyonce. Yeah. You know, but like, I was like, yo, I want to go do something else. Like, is that is that insane? Is that crazy? You know, like you got the biggest gig in the world, but you want to go over here and, and play somewhere else, you know? But if I hadn't done that, it's like I wouldn't have you know, played with the Nevels and just like gotten this um, musical, you know, pedigree. Right. You know, of like playing with the dudes that created the shit. Yeah. Yeah. You know, like that's very important to me, you know, and playing with Maceo is like, that means way more to me than like playing with Beyonce. And it's like yeah. no disrespect whatsoever, but, you know, Maceo has been playing music for, uh, longer than I've been alive. I mean, yeah. he started touring in like, I don't know, 66 yeah. or yeah, something like that. Yep. You know? So he's a master yeah. to me. So I want to learn from the masters, right? you know? So I would say to young cats to definitely always try and put yourself in that position to learn. Like first and foremost, like you're a student. I'm a student. Right. I'm I'm still learning, and I'm I still have the passion and the and the desire to learn. You know, because like I I mean obviously I love music. It's like my life. I live it. I breathe it. I eat it. You know, I smoke it. You know, it's like <laughs> it's just music. Yeah, you yeah. know, but also to play with everybody. Right. Like that's what I did. If somebody called me for a gig. Like my first like paid gig besides church it was a blues gig. You know, Jose Ramos called me up and was like, what do you know about the blues? Yeah. I'm like, nothing, but get, I'll learn. Yeah. You know, I'm like, when's the gig? Where is it? What time? You know? And then I just shed. Yeah. You know, I'm like checking out, you know, BB King and, and all everything. Yeah. Anything I get my hands on. Right. Uh, so that, that was really important and still is important in sustaining my career because I can play hard rock. Yeah. I can play funk. I can play R and B. I could play like I, I was I was recently playing with Yemen Blues. Yeah, yeah. Which is like this band from Israel. Right. You know, it's like this mixture of like northern African rhythms and like yodeling and in uh Yiddish and you know, like just a mixture of things right? and, and just being open to all of that, all styles of music, really. Like, I don't really believe in, I mean, I get the idea of like genres, like people need to classify things and put them over here and put them over there and whatever. But I really believe there's only two types of music. 
you know, it's good music and bad music. <laughs> I hear you. I <laughs> but, hear you. You know, like that's it. Like I love everything. I love metal. I love funk. I love classical. I love, you know, whatever chamber music, like all of it. I'm into it. Dope. So, you know, that's what I would tell any young musician is to listen to everything and learn it and play with everybody. Like never turn down an opportunity to play. I mean, unless, you know, I mean, when you're starting out, you have to do that. Yeah. You know, once you get older and, you know, you have to pick and choose and be like, all right, I can't go over here for this yeah. little bit of money. I can't do that. Yeah. yeah. You know what I mean? Uh, but when you're starting out, you, you got to, you have to take every opportunity that comes at you. Absolutely. And also, there's something to learn from everybody. Right. Which includes what not to do. You know, it's like, <laughs> yep. for real, yeah. I learned what not to do watching cats flail. Yeah. Be like, all right, I'm not going to do that. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for the blueprint of what not to do. Thank you. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. But I'm going to pay attention to that. You know right. what I mean? Right. And also, like, I mean, I see a lot of kids that, uh, pay more attention to the acrobatics. Yeah. Instead of like meat and potatoes, like walking. Right. You know what I mean? Like you got to walk. Yeah. Before you can Ideally run. Ideally walk with style too. Ideally walk with <laughs> you style. Know, with a little bit of something in that step. Um, yeah. You know, I mean, that's something, that's a crucial thing. Because I think sometimes you see youngster, young players not as concerned with pocket and feel and really knowing the style of the artist they're playing with or um so i think that's crucial i think all that advice is is huge and i think like you've shown such a a work ethic that every gig you come to like you said you're prepared um and even when yeah, learn the music, learn the music. That's, yeah. that's really important yeah learn the music and yeah. not I always tell drummers, you have to learn everyone's part. If I don't know the bass line, like, I don't know my part. Yeah. How does my part work with the bass? How does it work with the keys? Am I supporting what the singer is doing? Yeah. Or am I just playing all over everything? Right. You know, am I just stepping all in everything, you know? Yeah. Like Godzilla. Like, yeah. no. Nah. <laughs> yeah. You know, you got to listen that. I mean, I think that 98% of playing is listening. Yeah. Like, we can't have a conversation if we're just constantly talking over each other. Exactly. Does, doesn't work like that. You got to listen so you can answer a question. <laughs> yep, yep. Or, or respond. All right, so, Nikki, you got a new EP. Come and tell I me a little bit about EP. it. got an EP. It's coming out uh, soon. Basically, I mean, I released a single. I released a single a couple months ago. Uh, because basically I was just pissed off. I was mad. Right, right. You know, I was mad about what was happening politically and just like in the world in general. So I decided to rap about it, which I'm not a rapper. <laughs> There's a video for the track, right? There's a video. It's called Sinister. And, uh, you know, basically it started out, I, I made these tracks on my phone. Right. Using GarageBand because I... I'm on the board of directors for this foundation, actually, in L.A., called the Harold Robinson Foundation. Right, with uh, Angela. Yep. And basically what they do is 
they take kids out of the hood and they take them to a camp and just show them nature. Right. And do like team building exercises and they do writing classes so the kids can like write about their feelings and things like that. So I was basically I was trying to figure out a way to help them like make music. Right. You know, and a lot of kids don't have computers. They don't have musical instruments, you know. So I was like, well, most of these kids do have smartphones. And on any smartphone, there is GarageBand. Right. So you can open that up and just like make beats and make, you can record yourself and, and do, uh, do all sorts of, you know, creative things. It's a creative outlet. Mm-hmm. So basically I just started like working on it just to try and show them like, oh, you could do this, you know, since you can't do that, you can still do this. And then I ended up like making an EP. entirely on my phone it's called iphone sessions iphone sessions dope cool well once again thank you so much for taking the time absolutely thank you thanks for having me absolutely i want to thank nikki for being on the show so cool to catch up with her and hear about what she's been doing before we get out of here i'm going to play a track off of the nth power's first recording project and this one is called only love
Krasno Plus One is hosted by me, Eric Krasno. Executive producers are RJB and Christina Collins. Audio production by Matt Dwyer. Produced by myself and Ben Baruch of 1111 Group. All original music is by me, and most of which are instrumentals from my album, Telescope, under the artist name Kraz. This podcast is presented by Osiris Media. If you'd like to get in touch with us, email Kraz plus one at Gmail. That's K-R-A-Z-P-L-U-S-O-N-E at gmail.com. Send me some questions. Maybe I'll answer them on air. Send me suggestions of other guests you'd like to hear on the show. Thanks again for tuning in. I'll see you next time. Mm-hmm.